Love you guys. Excited to talk to you about the things that God has put on my heart today as we continue this series uh, that we're calling Called Out. Called Out is, uh, is an actual or very literal translation of the Greek word ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia is the word that's uh, most often translated church. I think it's only translated church, or the only word translated church in your New Testaments. Uh, it's a Greek word, though. It's a compound word. It comes from uh, the Greek prefix ek, which means out, and the Greek verb kaleo, uh, which is klesia in the rendering there, uh, that means called. And so literally the church is, is a, a group of called out ones. We are the called out ones. Now, as we've been studying Ephesus. We've been uh, formerly, before we met Christ, strangers and aliens. We weren't a part of God and his family, but we've been called by God to Christ. And through Christ, we have been brought into this um, amazing relationship that we have with God. Uh, as called out once. We are no longer who we were, we are now in Christ. And as members of Christ, we are members of each other. Uh, and so when we think of church, I mean, I'm trying to help us understand that we need to change our words. We need to change how we talk about this place. It's, in fact, church isn't a place. Don't say that you go to church. Say that you belong to the church. That happens to be called Bay Life in this situation. But it's way bigger than us, right? There's boxes all over our community and our country and world today that are the church, the called out ones. We don't go to church. It's not a place. We are the church. It's who we are. And so as we talk about this, and as we're reminded of this again at the beginning of our year, uh, we're just trying to understand from Scripture some of the mandates, the hopes that God has for his church as called out ones. Last week we talked about uh, the fact that uh, we can't lose our first love. We can get busy and be productive in the eyes of man, but if we lose our first love, uh, we're, we're gonna eventually disintegrate. Churches do it all the time. Churches stop opening their doors. Church, there's the place thing again. But churches cease to exist because somehow they get things out of whack. Uh, they emphasize things that aren't meant to be important, and they divide over silly, earthly stuff, all because they haven't kept Christ is their first love. Uh, we read last week in Revelation chapter two, as Jesus instructed the apostle John to write to seven churches, he said, write to Ephesus and tell them I'm so glad that you work and you work hard and you're patient and you're, you're, you're super careful with your doctrine, you do all these things amazingly, but I have this against you. You have lost the love that you had at first. He says, make sure you get that back, repent. Remind yourselves of what that was like. Go and do the things you did at first. Rekindle your excitement, your passion for me. If you don't, I'm going to remove your church from your church. That was last week. If you didn't, I just preached it again. But if you want to hear more, you can go online and look at that. But this week, we're going to continue as uh, Paul, uh, uh, in the letter that he actually writes to this church in, a, in Ephesus, uh, gives us these commendations, these urgings. He's going to tell us that as a church we've been called to be one. Unity is meant to mark the church. In a world that is severely divided, has anybody noticed this? Anybody watch the news? We're in a government lockdown because the two sides can't agree, and I don't care which side you're on, doesn't matter. It just goes to show you. We are a world divided. The political level, uh, in, in communities, uh, we find our groups and we kind of stick with them and denigrate the ones that aren't like us. Uh, families aren't safe. Half the marriages end. 
Uh, even, even the marriages that do uh, you know, uh, exist and continue to persist, uh, there's all kinds of hurt and pain and division within homes that are intact. It's a broken world. And division seems to reign, but it shouldn't be so. Especially in the church, it shouldn't be so. In fact, if you think about the times that we celebrate the most in our culture, it's the times when we finally get back to God's design of being together. Like when a hurricane comes, the entire community and the state and the region all bands together to help those who are in need, or a fire in California, or when towers tumble in New York. Everybody, are you remembering these times in our history? It's the times when all of our culture got together and stopped focusing on the things that made us different and focused on the things that we had in common. And this is how God designed things. Before sin was in the world, that's how things worked. But when sin came in, separation was the result. As we talk about the church, everything uh, that we say about the church should be couched in this one understanding. We are called to stay together, to be one, to emphasize the things that we have in common uh, rather than um, focusing on the things that would tear us apart. When I think of the church, I was trying to think of a way to describe it, and, and this is what God gave me, so here we go. Uh, we're meant to exist in this perpetual spiritual Hug, follow me. Uh, as I was getting ready to move everything around and set up for the sermon, you guys were asked to greet each other. Some of you did. Thank you for doing so. Some of you didn't. But everybody, if you did, uh, you greeted in your own way. Some of us greet this way. Isn't that funny? Our culture has made this a greeting. So if you're like too far apart from someone, but you catch eyes and you're like, oh, I should say hi. There, that's your hi. Now, if you're close enough, maybe anybody here shake hands with someone before you sat down? That's very nice. Very culturally acceptable. If you're going to meet someone for the first time or just kind of connect but not truly connect, put that paw out there. Isn't that weird that we touch to say hi? <clears throat> I mean, who, who decided that that's how we're going to do it? Because this, I mean, what does touching hands do? Well, I think it's part of our makeup. We are meant to be connected. And even if we could just press the flesh for a second... Just touch hands, wiggle, wiggle. It takes connection beyond just the, to something more. Some of us are huggers. You make the rest of us nervous, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and so for uh, some of us, uh, a hug on, on first time greeting is totally fine, but if, if you're like me and you're ever involved in a hug that you, you know, you're not really sure who you're hugging, you go two pats and you're out. Is anybody with me on this? Oh, hey, sister, hey, brother, pat, pat, gone, right? You're just because you don't want to stay too long. It's like when you get in those prayer circles and everybody, they say hold hands. I love doing that. My buddy Tom Eichum, does, he just does not like holding hands when we pray. So every time we pray, I just grab Tom's mitt and I'm like, let's pray, brother. Because <laughs> I just know I'm going to make him. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Even the least affectionate of us have those people in our lives, family members, children, wives, husbands, whatever, uh, close friends, that, that they get our hugs. Uh, and, and sometimes, like uh, when I, you know, see uh, friends of mine, or especially when I was younger, my aunts and uncles would, you know, see me. I was in high school; we'd be visiting them that once a year. Um, they would even hug me and rock. Has anybody ever been in this hug? You grab someone, and you're like, "Oh, it's so good to see." What is this thing? What is? Who came up with the rock hug? But it's like with every tilt, we're just affirming our affection, our love. I'm so glad that we're together. That's the picture that we're meant to have of the church. 
That when people come here and become a part of us, whether they're new to Christ for the first time or been following for a long time from somewhere else, they land here and they sense that kind of connection, that perpetual spiritual hug that is the warmth and the love of the body of Christ. Too many, too many churches are known for other things. Uh, who they don't accept. People they won't tolerate. Uh, the rules by which you must conform if you'll be a part of us. Certainly we need to have our doctrines. Certainly we need to hold the truth. But may we always be known first by our love. May people sense the love of God as they come here. Now the church is... Kind of got a spotty record for the last 2,000 years. We've, uh, as, as a, a collective, been known for the things that we've divided over, schisms and uh, separations, and some of them needed. You know, I'm, I'm Protestant Reformation was probably pretty necessary. I'm, I'm down with that one. Uh, others that are, you know, certainly we need to not be in unhealthy situations. I'm not saying that every separation was a wrong one, but there's way too many that are just stupid. That people just got fed up and they took their ball and they went home. I don't like the way they did it in that box, so I'm going to put my box down the road, and we're going to try to draw people from that box to that box because we do it right. It shouldn't be that way. In fact, uh, we're all on the same team. All the churches that you didn't go to today that preach the same gospel as us and believe in the same God and Savior that, that hold to the same truths that we hold to, they're not <clears throat> our competition. They are our brothers and sisters. Um, but there's lots of boxes all over the place. If one website is correct, there's 88 churches, uh, Protestant churches in our zip code alone. Some of them, great. I'm not saying it's not good to have churches closer to one neighborhood and closer to another one. But if, 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 if any church starts for the wrong reasons, I think that's sad. I think God's going to get us all in heaven being like, fellas, Really? You spend all your lives focused on your differences instead of celebrating me and the things that you have in common. We want to talk about the church being one today. Let me get to it. In the book of Ephesians, we've been studying it all year. Uh, there's a, a very clear line of uh, pivot or change here in the, in the fourth chapter. The first three chapters, Paul kind of gets rolling. He talks immediately in chapter one about theology, how we've been chosen, predestined. Uh, we are the elect. Uh, he, he talks about so many amazing theological ideas. He, he has a couple different prayers there in the first three chapters. But now, here in the, the fourth chapter, he's going to, as we move through this next part of our year, take us into all the practical applications of the things that he's been talking to in the first three chapters. He's going to take us from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from theology to practicality. Um, and we're just going to learn some amazing tools, some some, some, just how we're supposed to live in this life. And so it starts like this, as we talked initially about the church being one. He says, I, therefore, uh, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, just real quick, as you're studying your Bibles, anytime you see a therefore, you gotta ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore. So you gotta go back 
in, uh, in your reading and just say, okay, if he's kind of progressing from a thought, which thought was it? And I, I would argue this. I think it's, it's all of his uh, first three chapters. He's saying, since I've said all of these things about who Jesus is and about my hopes for you and my prayers for you, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. I, therefore, and then he, he labels himself just briefly. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And this is absolutely true. If, you have, if you've not understood what's happening in the time that Paul is writing this, he's actually, in the book of Acts, uh, 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 in Acts chapter 22 and 23, he's taken captive by the Roman government. He was accused by the Jews in Jerusalem of being a rabble-rouser, a divider, uh, uh, and actually, you know, being someone who was against Caesar. And so, Paul's a Roman citizen, has appealed to Caesar. He's on his way to Rome in some portion of this journey, and he's a prisoner. Why? Because he's a Christian. He's been seeking to promote Christ, and he got put in jail for it. When was the last time that happened to you or me? Anybody grateful to live in America? Anybody grateful? Yeah. So we can't say that we are a prisoner, literally, uh, most of us, for the Lord, but we could say that spiritually, as Paul here, in his double entendre use of this phrase, uh, indicates, he says, I am a prisoner, in fact, for the Lord, and I am a prisoner willingly of my Lord. He says it in different ways in other parts uh, of his writings, but he'll call himself a bondservant. That I have, you know, a bondservant was a servant that wasn't a servant by birth or a servant by um, trade. He was someone who had been a servant, had been released from his servitude, but decided because he loved his master so much more to commit his life to him, even though he was free. That's what Paul describes himself as. I'm a bondservant. I'm a, I'm a prisoner. I'm a willing captive of my God. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't like, you know, uh, a, a spam email. Hey, here's an opportunity for you. Uh, this is Paul speaking to his friends in Ephesus, the church that he had planted. He says, listen, I'm telling you guys, you got to do this. You gotta walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now that immediately uh, brings questions in my mind. What's this calling? What's this calling to which we've been called? Well, we've already talked about some of it. Uh, God predestined, elected each one of us who are following Jesus to be followers of Jesus. That's part of the calling. He sent Jesus, uh, chapter two of Ephesians tells us, he sent Jesus to die for us. That before we met Jesus, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but because Jesus came, by his grace and through his mercy, we have life anew. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. That's part of the calling. He kind of gets through to the end of the chapter two and he, he, he summarizes maybe some of his thoughts this way that might help us in understanding our calling. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens. That's who we were before we were in Christ. We were outside of the family of God, the household of faith. But we're no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and we are members of the household of God. Uh, we've been brought in uh, to a relationship with God through Christ. We're, we're not only uh, in relationship with God through Christ, but we've been built, our, our faith has been built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets. Everything that we read in our New Testaments, the things that are alluded to about the Messiah and beyond in the Old Testament, those are all foundational truths that we uh, stand upon as followers of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just in what we know, it's in who we know and it's in who is in us because Christ Jesus himself is our cornerstone, Paul says. He says he, he's the cornerstone of every Christian's lives. Meant to be. When you think cornerstone, you're thinking that's the rock that everything else in the building is built around and upon. Every other wall is lined up with a cornerstone. Every other structural, foundational, uh, load-bearing requirement starts with that big cornerstone back in those days when they would build their buildings out of rock. 
He says, you have Jesus in you, and he is stone one. Your first love. He goes on and he says, in Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He's, he's, now he's moved to, to talking about and referring to the church. He says, listen, Jesus is the cornerstone of your life, but he's not just the cornerstone of your personal life. He's the cornerstone of his church. And he's building your life and his church into this holy temple in which he resides. That's our call. We've been called to Christ in a personal relationship with him by God and prompted in our spirits to follow him by faith. We've been called to each other and to the mission that he's given us as a church. Another way to put it is this way. We've been called to a new life in Christ and to each other as a church. So if this is the walk, how then do I walk in a manner worthy of this walk, of this call? We'll try to get to all three, but probably just two things <laughs> as we go through what Paul says here. How do I walk in a manner worthy of my call? The first steps in this walk is to walk in Christ-like love. Look what it says in verse two. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call with which you've been called. So walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Greek sentences um, are like English sentences. Sometimes those prepositional phrases like in love can refer just to the bearing with one another, the, the phrase that immediately precedes it. Or, like often happens when we're talking about love, it's, it's basically a, a, a basket for all of these qualities to kind of rest in. And that's what I think is happening here in this text. That love, anybody heard a preacher talk about love? We make a big fuss about love around here. It's a big deal. But love is this 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 thing that God gives to us first so that we can give it back to him and to each other. It's this mode that we are meant to live in. It's, it's, it's actually in 1 John, it's, it's said that, uh, of God that, that he is love. God is love. He personifies love. And so everything that you can say about God is under the heading of him and his love. When you talk about the fruit of the spirit, it says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things, right? But it starts with love, and it's, I've heard this preached several times, that love is the basket that the rest of the fruit sits in. When it talks in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, it says love is patient, love is kind. It's all these different things. And so if we're going to walk this walk in a manner that's worthy of this call, let's start with have the middle be and finish with love. If we're going to stay together as a church, if you're going to stay together in your marriage, if you're going to stay together as a family, it's going to be because you heed this command. Walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, if you can skip that next verse for me, Matt, just go to the, uh, to the, yeah. Let's just break these down one by one. You ready? He says, first of all, with all humility and gentleness, uh, walk in love. How are you doing with your humility and your gentleness today? Anybody doing good with those? You know, you, you, you totally blow it when you say, I'm great at being humble. You, you, you totally blow it when you do that. It's, it's like the opposite, right? But uh, these are the keys to united life. Humility in mind and gentleness in deed. 
Uh, Jesus used these words to describe himself and the things that he taught when he was summarizing in Matthew chapter 11. He says to his friends he was teaching, he says, take my yoke. He was a, he was a rabbi, and, and the rabbis or teachers, the Jewish teachers of the day, would basically have their tenets, their, their beliefs, their things that they uh, were, were emphasizing as, as their teachings. And, and, and the yoke was seen as, as people who would follow them taking their teachings for themselves. Like uh, you would yoke two animals, two oxen together with those big wooden handcuffs, head cuffs, I guess you'd call them. Um, we would enter into a yoke with a, a rabbi and, and we would hold to what they said. So Jesus said to these followers, he says, hey, uh, take my yoke, take my teachings upon yourself and, and learn from me. And he summarizes his teachings saying, I am gentle, I am humble in my heart. It, 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 he's, he's referring to the fact that I'll be, I'll be patient and gentle and humble and I'll help you as I teach you, but he's also saying, this is who I am. If you want to take my teachings, take these. Take humility and gentleness, meekness, and other translations. And if you do these things, I love this. Jesus would say this often as he was teaching. He's saying, if you do these things, you'll get this. He says, if you'll take uh, humility in your heart and if you'll take gentleness in your actions, you will find rest, peace in your own souls. And if I could take it further, you will create peace in the relationships that you have. Humility, gentle, uh, gentleness, these are keys. Humility is this inside part of us. It's, it's our choice to say um, it's not about me, it's about God, it's about others. Gentleness is, are the actions that proceed from humility. Uh, I like to uh, picture every morning I wake up, I put on my favorite Flavor Flav medallion in my default setting, yeah boy, my, my, uh, <laughs> my default setting because of sin in my life is me. I'm, from the moment I wake up every morning, I'm focused on me. Uh, I hope no one's in the bathroom because I need to go there, right? Yeah, that's too much information. Anyway, uh, uh, but what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Uh, I get in my car and I start driving and I get mad at the people around me because they don't understand that this is my road and I'm on my way to my work. And uh, I get to work and I'm immediately focused on my tasks and what I want to accomplish. And then people start talking to me and asking me for my time and I get frustrated some days because they don't understand I'm living for me, because that's my default setting. But what Jesus says is that I'm rescuing you from this life, and I'm asking you in humility, because that's what humility is, it's taking your eyes off of the me. I'm asking you in humility to focus not on yourself, but on other people, to think of yourself as not worthy, but to see God as more worthy, and, and then to see people it's deserving of your time. You know, when, when, I, when I'm focused on me, you become unworthy. Because I'm worthy. I don't, it's me. I don't care about you. I care about me. But Jesus says, no. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call with which you've been called. Start with love that is not focused on me. It's focused on the you outside of me, on, on your life, on God first, obviously. I'm taking care of you. The, the me side says I'm worthy. The you side says you're worthy. The me says the me side says my way. 
or the highway. But the Usai says, no, after you. How can I serve you? How can I love you where you are? The me side comes to church and says, I want my church to do what I want them to do. I want them to believe how I believe. I want them to, to sing the songs I like the way I like them sung. I want that preacher to go this long, not this long, this long. And when I get to here, I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm not listening anymore. I gave him a half hour. He should have been done. When I go outside, I want them to let my car go out first. When I go to pick up my kids, those servants who gave the hour of their life to watch your children better kowtow and cater to me. But that's not how we're supposed to come to church. We're supposed to come to church saying, Lord, have your way in my life today. Use me to bring you glory and to love those around me. You know, when a church does that, it stays together and stays united. But it, it, <clears throat> when a church does that, when people in a church come here to church, uh, to these gatherings of the called out ones, there's fewer people that slip through the cracks when we're focused on others instead of on ourselves. We put these prayer requests up on the cross uh, every week and there's sometimes 50 to 100 of them and they get dispersed amongst our staff to all pray uh, through the week. And our staff does pray for these. I, I get cards myself. I'm usually the last one to get them so they've been you know, divided and, and I'll only get two or three or four at the end. Uh, and I got two this past week. One of them read this. I've been a member for 15 years here, and I'm praying for acceptance. I'm tired of feeling like an outsider. Now, I don't know who you are, uh, if you're here this morning, but first of all, uh, I'm sorry. Now, I, I, I don't want to just completely abdicate you of any responsibility. You should, if, and I pray and trust that you have tried to connect with people. But if you've tried to connect with people and no one has loved you back, then that's a failure of the church. And that's probably the result of a lot of people coming here, um, maybe not intentionally, certainly with smiles on their faces, singing the songs, God bless you, God bless you, but in their hearts focused on their agendas, uh, connecting with their people. And isn't it great that God gives us people? I'm not saying you ignore people that love you and love you, you know, that you love back, but wouldn't it be great if we came here and said, you know what, there might be another you that needs me. And if the Holy Spirit stirs in my heart and as I look at someone and I sense that something's wrong, maybe I should go up and say, hey, you okay? I know I don't know you, but you sit on this side and I sit on this side and I just noticed you. And, uh, is there anything I can do to encourage you or can I pray for you or what's going on? I can't tell you the number of stories that I've heard of people who either found faith for real for the first time or... or uh, went forward in their faith because someone that they didn't know asked them how they were doing. Because someone that they didn't know served them and showed them the love of Christ in a way that it was meaningful and life-changing. Yeah, that's, that's how we're supposed to live. In humility, if you can go back to that verse for me, in humility, seeking to serve others and gently putting them ahead of ourselves. What happens in a church when people in it think humbly and act gently? What happens in a marriage when spouses think humbly and act gently? 
What happens in parent-child relationships when both parent and child seek to live humbly and to love each other gently? Here's the deal. We can be humble and gentle. Some of you are thinking this. Mark, I've been humble and gentle. The person I'm being humble and gentle to is still a jerk. They don't give it back. What about that? Well, that's what the next lines are for. With all humility and gentleness, and then with patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain. We'll get to that verse next. Yeah. If you're going to walk out uh, this, this, this call, live a life worthy of this call, you're not just going to have to be humility and gentle. You're going to have to take into account the fact that when you are humble and gentle, people will not return those to you. What do you do in those situations? You're patient. The word patience here means putting up with uh, pain or unhappiness. It goes to the interactions that we have with people who disappoint us. Anybody been disappointed by someone? Yeah. Or to the situations where we disagree with someone and we find no solution. What do we do then? We're patient. We're patient. When we seek to show love and humbly seek to assist and, and gently uh, interact with someone else and they return it with anger and uh, bitterness, we just remain patient. My, my, uh, my, one of my sons, I think it was Ben, uh, I remember him one day, we were out in a, a backyard somewhere and there was a campfire and he was young and uh, well, it was probably Cooper because this is what something he would do. But uh, um, uh, he was just kind of messing with the coals. He got a little too close to the fire, was messing with the coals and I didn't want him to burn himself or set the rest of the woods on fire. And so I went to grab him quickly away from the fire, right? And I went to grab him and when I grabbed him, I, I scared him, I shocked him, but I also disappointed him. You ever had to, you know, your kid is busy doing something that's going to hurt him or somebody else, and you take him away from that, and they're like, what are you talking about? This was fun. Fire, right? So I grabbed him, and I remember one of the many times that this has happened is I'm grabbing my kid. He starts to wriggle and try to get away from me so he can get back to what he was doing, and as he's wriggling, he just goes all, you know, uh, WWF, and he headbutts me in the mouth. Anybody have one of these? Just swings his head back in anger and just... Pops me right in the face. Now, as a parent right there, I got a choice. Could have headbutt him back. Thought about it. <laughs> Thought about it. Or I could be the adult, the, the, the peacemaker, the grace giver, the patient one in the relationship. And I could continue on with what the mission was. My mission was to protect him, to provide for him, to teach him. And even though he was wriggling and, and defiant and, and, and damaging to my face, <laughs> I just held him in patient love and told him, no, buddy, no, we can't do that. And we went on with our day. Uh, how often do we have interactions with other people in our homes, in our marriages, here in our church, where we've sought to extend humility and gentility and been... Uh, given hostility in return. Well, in those situations, uh, the scriptures teach us to be patient. The next word there is to bear with one another in love. He could have just said patience, but he, he, he expands it. If patience is like from instance to instance, bearing with one another in love is that long-term, uh, you know, um, 
irritation or that long-term disagreement between people, but choosing instead of focusing on those disagreements or focusing on those things that make you crazy in that relationship, focusing on the things that bless that relationship and bearing with those things that could separate you, not allowing them to. Come on, who's married? Yeah, for the married folks, they know exactly what this is because when you got into the marriage with that person, you're like, well, I can overlook that. You know, that'll be okay. And then you actually live the first year with you and you're like, I don't know how this person's not getting the message. I've told them to stop doing this. Quit chomping when you eat your cereal. Quit slurping when, you know, these are the ones that Eleanor had for me. <laughs> but I, I've persisted in doing them. And, and we've had in our marriage, and I'm sure you've had to in your relationships, whether it's marriage or other things, just said, you know what, I'm going to live with that. Eleanor doesn't like to use the automatic lights in our, our, uh, our car. Uh, I do. I'm, I, I marvel at the engineering of these things. You can just leave the car lights on this automatic setting and the car will know when it turns on when to put the lights on and it will know when the car is off to turn the lights off. But Eleanor does not trust science <laughs> and, refuse, right? and refuses, refuses to leave it on the setting. And we actually have, every time we get in the car, this disagreement. Because I set it onto the automatic thing. We did it the other night. We went to have pizza together and we got out of the car and she's like, turn the lights off. And I'm like, babe... We've been married a long time. We've had this car for a big part of it. Those, those lights will go off. And then I, I, I want it out loud to count to three. Watch. One, two, see. But she, what does she do? But we went and had a great date. Why? Because our relationship is not defined on our differences. Our relationship is not uh, determined by the things that we don't have in common. It's built around the love that we've shared for 27 years of marriage. It's built around uh, our love for Christ and, and, and our joy in waking up to each other and, and, and working through hard things and, and finding solution. That's, that's what brings life to relationship. That's what brings life to a church. It's when a church talks about the things that they disagree with. I'm not saying that we don't have space and room for us to disagree well. But after a time, it's just time to say, you know what, I'm just gonna have to live with that because I love that person. I'm just gonna have to live with that because there's bigger things for us to accomplish in the name of our God. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that in the 15 years that I've been serving you uh, does that for the most part. And uh, I just pray that we get better at that. The last thing I'll share with you is this, because uh, it's all the time that we have for, uh, even as we walk in Christ-like love, we need to walk with an eagerness for peace. Paul goes on and he says, listen, I urge you to live this life, to walk in this manner that's worthy of your call. Do it in Christ-like love, humbly and gently dealing with each other, being patient and bearing with each other. But be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Lots of phrases there. Let's break them down. The first thing I, I highlighted is eager because it's at the front of this Greek sentence, and Greek syntax actually um, can move words around to emphasize them. You know, it's like uh, if you're really hungry, you might not, you know, put the subject and the predicate ahead of the food that you want. You might just be like, pizza, feed me now, right? You know, that's kind of what he does here. He says, eager, be eager. Big blown up letters, exclamation points. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, a couple facts here. We have been given by God a unity of the spirit. It is on board. The body of Christ has given by God its unity through the spirit. 
It's not something we have to work for or achieve. It's not a mystery. It's not a, you know, a treasure map that we have to find on. You know, it's just ours. It's a fact. Just like your salvation is a fact. Once you've chosen it, it's yours. Can't change it. Can't take it away. It's yours. I believe that. But here's what the Bible teaches over and over again. The facts of God or the, the placements of God are uh, you know, sometimes controverted, gone against by the children of God uh, as they go back to the old man, the old ways of life, and refuse to live in this new life that they've been given. And so you and I have been called by God to maintain this unity that already exists in the spirit through the bonds that we can create through peace. Be eager, be passionate about preserving the peace that is ours because we share one spirit. If I had time to go to the next verses, which are awesome, it says this, uh, it's actually an old hymn, uh, probably from the early church. It says there is uh, one body and one spirit. Uh, there is one hope uh, in, to which we have, have been called. There's what, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's a great little refrain, but it talks about the oneness of, of God, three in one. It talks about the oneness of the church. We are in uh, God and given by God uh, our relationships as a church. We are meant to be one. But all of this talk about oneness, Paul says, you've got to be eager to maintain it. You've got to want it. You've got to desire it. You've got to seek it, and it'll come to you this unity as you achieve peace. You see that bond of peace? It's actually these Greek words that actually mean like peace glue, peace paste, right? And it talks about how peace brings things together. If, 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 if we could kind of look at relationships, the lack of peace, war, strife, antagonism, tears things apart. But when you sit down to the table and you negotiate and you work through your issues and, and come together in common areas, you, you bring glue to what's been torn apart. And there's peace where it wasn't before. The Bible talks a ton about peace. But I want you to leave here that, uh, this morning knowing that you have to want peace in order for peace to bring unity in your life. You know, uh, I'm learning that as we close. I'm learning that in my own life. I talked about it a little bit last week, but uh, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years. And I'm learning again, like it's the first time, that I can know everything that I'm supposed to do, and I can even do everything that I'm supposed to do, execute the duties of my role. But uh, I can do those without wanting to do them, without having a passion behind them. And I can even fool you guys. You know, and, 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 and we could have a decent church with me just kind of gutting it out and being dutiful. But what I want in my life and what I want for your lives is for the passion and the love of Christ to reign in us in such a way that we just don't do what we're supposed to do. We want, we're eager for unity, for peace, for love to reign in our lives, to reign in our church. What happens when that happens? People see a difference. People sense God's presence. And lives change.
May we be eager to submit to the Spirit in our lives. May we be eager to seek peace. May we be eager to say, I'm sorry when we're wrong. May we be eager to forgive when we've been wronged. May we be eager to accept our differences for the sake of unity. And may God give us a passion for him and for others as he makes us one. For that to happen, Jesus has to be the center of your life, of my life, of our church. Stand with us as we sing. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Be the center of our church. Jesus, be the center of your church. Jesus, be the center of your church. And every knee will bow, and every tongue shall confess you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, we may not uh, physically be bending a knee to you now, but in our hearts, God, I pray that every knee is bowed. And I pray that as we go from here, uh, every tongue will confess that you are Lord, that we'll live like you are Lord, that we'll live in a manner worthy of this call to which we've been called. Help us seek unity in every facet of our life, every relationship that we have here in our church, in our homes, in our uh, relationships with friends and family. I just pray that you would uh, make us humble and gentle, that you would give us patience and forbearance, that you would help us to be eager to bring peace. Lead us in that, God. Above all, would you be the center of anything that we are and that we do? Would you, um, by your love, compel us? And lead us to the things that would glorify you most. I pray this, God, for us, your church, in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Let's be one. Go as one.